we're talking about discovery today. Uh, 1984, big, um, I would say big game changer, big change, maybe the biggest change of direction uh, even so far. I mean, there have been, we, we've talked about this, there have been transitional albums, but this one is definitely very different from what came before in many respects. Um, I'm really curious because the way I understand that this would be one of the first albums you bought, um, the second, I believe, right? The, the, you bought when it came out. Um, yeah, the second, the yes, time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'm really curious what you thought when it came out. Um, just the um, the direction of the album, the sound of the album, um, because I didn't, I didn't, um, I wasn't um, yet old enough to um, to really yeah. know much about him at the time. Well, so um, well, what did I think about? I was kind of like too young to well, and I'm still like. Too young to have a very critical opinion about things in general. Like I try to be open always, right? And so, mm -hmm. as even as a child, and I was um, eleven years old, I guess when it was released. Um, and you know, the, the the I I liked it, liked it a lot. I think the what is kind of like interesting about these songs because it's um, it's mostly songs, right? Mm. and just one 12 minute instrumental um they all had like a very particular uh, atmosphere uh, remember that last time we we came up with the word mood pieces for the second half mm -hmm. of uh, second side of crisis and in a way this is kind of continuing with this album uh i think and um and like to france for example or, or to france um it's that just a it's just an incredible piece, like really, really incredible, and it drew me on in so much, and and like the mood of um, Poison Arrows, and then like the cool sound of Crystal Gazing, which mm. kind of like very different from uh, Foreign Affair, but then still a little bit like Foreign Affair, and um, so in a way, this this uh, yeah, I'm, and yeah, Tricks of the Light is kind of like maybe was my my least favorite at the time. Um, and Discovery is just an incredible rock song, which I really like, with what with one of my well, maybe my favorite Mike Oldfield guitar solo yes. or you know yeah. mini composition. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I I think for me it was just it was just great. Like what I didn't have much of an expectation. I hadn't at that point. I didn't know all of Mike's back back catalog um, well enough yet. So. For me, it was sort of like a continuation of crisis, and mm. I I liked it, and and the sound back then was also um, we always have to see that in context was also a, you know, futuristic in a way, the way that the drums were produced, mm. and this is another co-production by Simon Phillips and Mike Oldfield, right? So um, yeah, that was my initial like the the one thing that I do remember when I first listened to it, I was on my on my. Uh, bed um which was a double decker bed with my brother mm -hmm. sleeping uh um under me or beneath me or how we shoot yeah i don't know <laughs> and <laughs> and, i think it's um, the, the bunk below you yes uh, yeah the bunk okay exactly and um and there is this after the intro of the lake there is this loud stab of sound yeah when it goes into the second section and i remember how i how i uh 
felt a shock through my body when I first heard that. I was really surprised. And mm-hmm. um, that's sort of like the only like immediate memory I have from like the very first time I listened to it. Yeah. I um, I certainly find it, I keep, if I hear the album, it doesn't sound like it's, it was done in 1984. I think um, probably none of his albums really have a very strong 80s sound. I think maybe... Uh, Islands has sort of that's that does seem rooted like sort of um, in time a bit more, but uh, but this one, as you said, futuristic. Maybe futuristic is a bit um, too much. Putting it too too strong. No, but I agree. No. Well, I think I actually think that Crisis was like the perfect marriage, mm-hmm. let's say, of of the eras. But here, um, here the Fairlight is sort of like very upfront and very. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, back in the in the day, it was sounding futuristic, I would say. But that is the part that has kind of like not aged too well for me. Those sounds, like the like the cello or whatever, like fake double bass um, string sound, mm-hmm. uh, both both string sound that you find on um, uh, what is it, Poison Arrows, for example, mm-hmm. um, and the the um, like the the vocal. The vocal samples in um, Safe by a Bell or something, those are really sounds of the time. So that's how we could say it really fits firmly rooted in that. Um, and also like the, yeah, the, the way that the drums were treated uh, sonically. But I still think, I still think it sounded, it sounded very, um, how should I say, intentional. Like it didn't, mm. doesn't sound like it's a mistake or, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, not carelessly, not carelessly chosen sounds. I think what what's interesting for me from a production point of view is that at that time in the 1980s, in the early 1980s, there had already been, we discussed this when uh, talking about QE2, first attempts at making purely electronic pop music. And people would uh, use a drum machine and replace the drummer um, and would uh, create entire albums just with synthesizers and keyboards. And I think the probably most people would have expected, even though rock music was still big, that the future was always going to be in electronic music. Whereas today, if you look at a lot of <clears throat> productions today, there is there's always this hybridization of um, like if you if you want something that sounds like a guitar, sure you can um, you can create that with um, with an app or with um, with an effect, but why not just have it someone play it on a guitar um, mm-hmm. if you want a certain feeling. So there is a lot, like many people don't realize how a electronic, many acoustic sounding parts are and how still acoustic, many electronic sounding parts are. So I think this album was sort of futuristic in that, especially Poison Arrows, I think that's a great track in the production because it's really hard to say is what which part is played by an electronic instrument and which part is played by a man, like a human. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, in sound-wise, you know, not maybe feeling-wise, but but sound-wise, I think um, especially the um, the remaster, which is very mm-hmm. close to the original, but it brings out this the fatness of some of the this, the production more, and I I kind of like it. I I think uh, I know some people actually use this as a demo album to um, to highlight like for showcasing hi-fi systems. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds really great yeah. still today. I think. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, interesting you say that, Lucas. For me, I think for me it's maybe the 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 least you know well recorded album of his in the eighties. That's interesting. Interestingly yeah. enough, yeah, because like the standard, the standard is in a way it's a high standard. You know, like even given all the experimentation sonically, it's sort mm -hmm. of like a high standard, especially with Crisis. And this one, uh, Discovery, is a little bit less. If you're listening, I mean, okay, like I obviously I had the vinyl back then, back in the day, and then mm. also got the first CD, and the, like the first C CD transfer is pretty is pretty bad. So that's sort of like what I have uh, in mind mm -hmm. when I'm when my mind is playing it back <laughs> internally, right? When um yeah so anyway anyway so um so the um the remasters yes sounded sounded a little bit better but I think there's still like if you would really zoom in and have somebody really carefully restore the mix of the master it would be it would be worth doing with this album that's what I'm thinking yeah, um, could be <clears throat> yeah you know like one of the um sort of like uh, features of the of the song side, and I mean all songs here, is that they kind of flow from one into the other um, in a way that really is kind of unexpected for these kinds of like a diverse range of, of songs. Um, yeah. And um, I don't know, like I think in some cases it may have been conceived like that, to be like that, um, and in other cases it just worked, like to put them uh, side by side, and it feels like it's flowing, right? Um, the the fact that he's like um, using the, the main theme of Two France also, um, um, you know, in uh, Talk About Your Life, mm -hmm. um, is is sort of like a, an old Fieldian thing to do, right? <laughs> and then there there are a couple of couple of really interesting. Um, Things like the the uh, I don't know if anybody like noticed that like the end of side one so the end of Christ of the song uh, discovery has sort mm -hmm. of like this drone yeah and I think and I mean I think I'm, and at least like there's, there's a similarity but I think it may actually be the same chord that ends uh, Herges Ridge. Um, it's it's definitely very interesting. It's it's it yeah. Especially yeah. after this, this really pure rock song, it it it, it go it, it closes out with this ethereal. Yes, and, and in in a way, the remember that we were saying that um, when, on crisis, like um, the resolution of side A is the beginning of uh, Moonlight Shadow, right? We only yes. get like the tension to, and it's it's the same here with this record. So discovery yeah. at the end of discovery has the tension, that unresolved tension. And then, uh, then it resolves to the da 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 <laughs> line, you know, with the beautiful, and that's like where the where the um, Oberheim um, string mm. sound kind of like plays a big role in uh, talk about your life, right? And, yeah, I have uh, a few yeah. thoughts on on the on the on the um, arrangement, as it were, of the of the album. So. I think you mentioned it that it flows together very well. Of course, retrospectively, this can be a coincidence in the sense that maybe it wasn't, let's say, intentional to have it have this flow. But I have a feeling that it is intentional. If 
if you had imagined this album to be an instrumental work, then it has a very similar um, tension art, I would say, as, as many of his instrumental pieces, um, with um, sort of a, a folky beginning, then it goes into a, a sort of an earlier climax, then it has crystal gazing, the atmospheric segment where it goes a bit back, then it builds up again, and then you have discovery as um, as, a, as a high point, as it were, mm. um, as a sort of a finale um, to the to the to that first side. And um, I don't know if this. I mean, this is of course um, pure conjecture, but the way I could imagine it is that he maybe he did feel pressured to come up with a commercial album or more, or continue the the success of Crises. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe it was suggested, or probably it was suggested, whether in jest or like uh, as a serious, uh, a more serious business suggestion by Branson to to record an entire album of songs. I actually mm -hmm. doubt it, but but let's say he felt pressure to do it. Then maybe he put himself the challenge to sort of record an instrumental album and then actually sort of have it or record a pop album which is actually in in reality a really complex and colorful and diverse um instrumental piece so sort of um masked by pop music i think it's very possible because um the songs this is not i mean there's lots of people who have very bad things to say about this phase in his work uh but these pieces are not just simple pop songs i think they're really really each single one of them is sculpted in every detail. There's lots of details in there, and the pieces do not have a regular structure. There's no copy pasting in there at all. Um, it's yeah, the, I, the, I you know. Yeah, I think what what we were saying that they are that they are setting a very distinct atmosphere and mood. Uh, each of those pieces. That's kind of like what what I would focus on. That there is like a very very clear vision for the. For the and again, this is the continuation for crisis as well. For like the, like the let's just call it the emotional drone that mm -hmm. lies under each track. Yeah, there's there's a very there's a very clear color to each song, which is it's almost like embracing the music somehow. Mm -hmm. So the music exists within a within a uh what shall we use the word cocon or something like of yeah. of, of of something that is really really very very specific and very clear and very clear vision and sort of um also you could see that lyrically um it's not really about i would say i mean partly it is but it's not really so much about the lyrics but also about the vibe that the words create like the sounds themselves so it's um and and in a way that's that's sort of like the theme we can find here in this in his career going from the you know from the what he did in the 70s in, to the 80s that there's sort of we can think of it as sort of like a refinement or focus on on in, on on parts of his of his skill set, we could say, mm -hmm. and 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 not just a focus in the sense of oh, it was always there and I can just do it, or also like in terms of personal development and experimentation, like what happens if I do this, and um, I, I very much see like big chunks of his career as as doing that rather than rather than um, you know what I mean, like rather than. Uh, just kind of like um, relying on 
things. Right? Yep. There's always the, the, the experimentation is always part of that. And you're right, like in the context of maybe the record company won't, you know, asking for another hit song, which actually he delivered, which is just yep. fantastic. Right. And like, like to me, uh, to Francis is the, uh, is the, is maybe his best song. It's, it's I think it's just it, yeah. absolutely incredible. In the Netherlands, this was as big as um, Moonlight Shadow. So that I actually grew up listening to the radio, and, and on the radio, those two songs were on frequently. But it wasn't that Moonlight Shadow was <clears throat> was on more often. They were sort of, they were both considered classics. Yes, yes, totally, totally. You know, like I also, the. Um, yeah. Yes, sorry, sorry, you go ahead, please. No, I, I was um, I was thinking because I was talking about the. Um, this uh, this sort of this tension arc. There is a there's a, there's a few interviews from the time where he suggests that um, the songs, the seven songs, they form an opera. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've read these, but so he he says he uses the word op opera. There's a miniature opera on the album, and there's um, an, a long a longer uh, instrumental piece, which is why the album was also called um, Discovery and Lake in some of the early pressings. So it, yes, um, and. Um, I if I don't know how I mean we know that the recording process was interrupted by more work which had to be done on the Killing Field soundtrack. I don't know if that played a role, but if you imagine if you take out "Saved by a Bell," and then you would be able to put, um, what's it called? Talk about your life um, on the on the A side, then you would have a complete cycle. Then actually, the music would come full circle at the end of these six songs, and then mm -hmm. you, he could have extended the lake on the B side into a long instrumental again, and then we would have a very similar album actually to Crises, to Five Miles Out, and to Islands later on. So it's not maybe it's not as different as as I think it is or thought it was. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's my, my looking at it from a wrong perspective, but somehow I feel, I always thought Saved by a Bell, I, I really don't like that particular song. I think there's, I think it's too over the top. Um, and I think it, there's a beautiful cycle for these six songs without it. And then I always thought the lake is incredible, but I always thought it maybe different sections could have gone a bit longer, a bit developed into something a bit bigger, especially considering the incredible work he did on the Killing Fields and some of the more melodic and harmonic mm -hmm. uh, sections of that. I don't know. I that's just yeah. I don't. I I mean, I here. I don't. I don't agree. I think like the first, the first side, like discovery is the clear end. There is no way you could have a song after that to complete the cycle. For, at, yeah, at least in my. I, I mean, I know what you're saying, but I think it wouldn't be as nice as the way it is now, where the second side, which is slightly longer than the first side, I think this first side is maybe mm -hmm. only 18 minutes or something. Second side is like 18 minutes or, something, or 20 minutes, I think. Um, so um, here, well, I, again, like we really don't know, <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. the, the second side, to me, the, those two songs and the lake, they sort of are, are um, have some sort of progression. There's a progression within those as well, right? And like, I mean, I don't, for example, I mean, like, tell me, um, you say you don't like um, Saved by a Bell. I kind yeah. of like it because of it's really bizarre 
it's a really bizarre song. And so like lyrically, like the verses and the chorus, they have nothing to do with each other. No. Right. And so I was always wondering what, what he meant, what he meant by that, that like is basically describing like the stars and like, you know, like watching, watching the night sky, I guess, you know, something like that and, uh, dreaming about, about that. And then, you know, the chorus is saved by a bell suffer in hell. And, yeah. but you were too blind to tell. And I'm sure that's autobiographic, uh, autobiographic that, you know, that there's, there's something, there's something about his time in school, or it's referring to something like that. Maybe that he was a dreamer, um, or, and, and, you know, like that it's actually the school bell or, and the, the other, tubular bell? the tubular, yeah, and he was, <laughs> yeah. That, you know, could make like he yeah. was saved by that, but at the same time, it also brought him hell. And, um, and then in a way, the lake is kind of sort of like a, I don't want to use that word, but I'm just going to say like a light piece of music, um, in a way where he's kind of like letting go of, uh, expectations of, of tension and, and it starts with, um, with these little, uh, bell-like flutey, mm -hmm. um, fairlight sounds. And, and it also uh, dies out with those same sounds at the end mm -hmm. of, the, of the track. So, um, and it has like the, like the, what should we call it? Like the twangy kind of like cowboy shuffle, um, Status quo, section. actually. It's the status, uh, status quo, quo. section. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think he actually, so, uh, <laughs> he, 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 he actually, he actually said that it was uh, a reference to them. Apparently <laughs> Phil Spaulding, I think re recollected that, um, he talked to him about it and he said it was, uh, <clears throat> he liked status quo and that's uh, why it's in there. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th there are some, some really cool things. Um, you know, the, um, talk about your life uh, has mm. this really cool effect where the vocal, um, does like a, a question and answer thing. Um, and. And the way that the, the, these two question as a, uh, are, are treated is that the, the answer has a more direct sound than the question. I always mm -hmm. like that. It's almost like, as if like, you know, mm -hmm. the delay, the, 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 what comes back to you is, is clearer than the original. And, and to me that. I mean, back then I had no idea what that effect, how that was done or what it meant, but it was always kind of like strange. Like at first you hear the voice far away and then it's clear. And, and mm. in a way, <clears throat> I'm just seeing this as a metaphor for myself, I'm not saying that Mike has done that, but in a way it's sort of like this, you know, descriptive of, um, you know, um, looking at something in hindsight and. Mm. And, and in a way this, the, the album has that sort of feel to me also that it's kind of, um, kind of in a, um, in an interim kind of happening in an interim space somehow. And, and actually oh, yes. Yes. physically it was done in, in Switzerland because he was, yeah. um, I guess 
trying to not pay taxes in the UK or something. I don't know the, if that's the true. The neutral zone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, the, some parts of the lake, um, I, and I also read that from uh, Phil Spaulding, I think, um, it was inspired by like uh, skiing, skiing down the hill. Um, you know, like it was Lake Geneva, I guess, where. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I agree. Um, even though that is a, for me, I think uh, maybe even a bigger topic. You say it's sort of in this time, in this, um, I don't know, time bubble. I don't know how to call it, but I mm. think this may be down to the work with electronic instruments. I think it's um, the. The more electronic elements come into it, I think, and, and the more he's working with pop and rock. I mean, a pop and rock song doesn't have the same sort of forward motion as a symphony or um, a classical piece of music has, or even his his early piece like Hergus Ridge, um, which has which really works from a beginning to a resolution, which has more of this feeling. I think the more the electronic elements come in, the more um it's non-linear music and um it's it's suspended in time almost and that feeling i think that's why i like the lake so much actually i think it's um it's really a, a look into a one like a wondrous moment and um it doesn't really move from a um doesn't cycle through themes and develops the themes it 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 goes somewhere from somewhere and it's really wondrous and um I like the floating sensation it has. This, like, there's really sections which you would say, like, he goes from the status quo section into this sort of, um, I don't know what to call it, the sheen as well. It sort of has an, it almost sounds like a passage from the could have been on the killing fields. Um, yeah. And then it goes, yeah. yeah, you know, and then it, and, and the ending again is this classic Oldfield again. It's, there's this passage, but it couldn't, it doesn't make sense that they, are juxtaposed, but they make complete sense somehow. And I love that about it. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, like how many sections does the lake really have? Like it's four, it's four big sections, really. When it may be counting yeah. the intro, it would be five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and there is the section which has the, the, which is kind of reminiscent of the um, the fugue section in uh, Taurus Two, actually, with with yep. the sampled with the sampled Maggie Riley vocals. You can hear that it's actually her voice, yeah. uh, I think at least. And then she's singing on top of that as well. So she's she's doing that scat singing on top of that, and with with the with the um, a double kick drum kind of thing by by Simon Phillips and um, really also reminiscent of the climax on Crisis, you know, mm -hmm. in a way like a lot of a lot of elements of earlier albums sort of like also find a way into this into this piece somehow, and then um, that there there's that climax and at the end we get um, this little break with just the organ and the um, electric guitar um, starting this mm. the beautiful melody, which is just a descending D, ma D major scale. It's just just beautiful, and that is reminiscent for me of the um, of the intro of the finale of Tubular Bells Side One, mm -hmm. like the vibe, 
right? And it goes somewhere yeah. else, but but like this kind of there, you can really, really kind of like pinpoint like almost every single moment here in this piece to be sort of something that he did earlier, and um, or as you said, like at the same time with the with the Killing Field soundtrack. Um, but it's not not as obvious as it sometimes is. It's not a direct reference, which no, no, I think it's is not, great. It's not, not obvious. No, it's not obvious. Not at all. I'm not saying that. It's just really sort of like um, kind of. Um, it's not a, not a copy of anything at all. It's just that you can tell. Okay, it's that kind of vibe. It's that kind of. It's that kind of like move also from one thing to another and. Uh, and yeah, the 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 part before the the vocal canon, let's say. Um, which mm -hmm. is not a canon here, but <laughs> anyway, is is um, is also like really um, beautifully simple. But then it goes into that that section has a middle section, which is really sort of like a complex line, yeah. really complex line, uh, beautiful, incredible, and 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 sort of uh, in a way out of place on this record that that is so incredibly tonal. Mm -hmm. Right, but there's this 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 moment of confusion, like okay, which chord is this, and like it's really, really, really quite something. Um, yeah, and have, um, have you heard the um the have you heard it in surround the lake? Because there is a surround mix of it available. No, um, I actually have not heard it. I have it, but I haven't heard it. It was like a circumstances that I didn't have my my uh, system set up when it came out or something and I, I do have it but I haven't listened to it yet yeah I'd sorry love I to can't hear reference it, um, that yeah. no me yeah. neither you um, would be interesting you know because there's something really interesting and kind of like shocking to me about the the he made a suite of pieces for like a, the uh, second disc uh, of the, the 1984 of, suites yes 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 and unfortunately there there's uh, one thing in particular that really put me off like the in the track discovery the bass guitar is missing mm. i don't know if you've ever heard that but it's I it's just missing skimmed out. and i i'm um i don't know i was that was a point when i was a little bit starting to get really worried a little bit if he was actually interested in in working on this his back catalog at all um maybe it was and just then, a technical yeah. mistake but anyway um Anyway, that's so. That's also why um, I don't really enjoy that um, that piece of work. Let's say so much. You know, I I love the original album and the remaster was was like I said and like you said, uh, slightly better than the original. So, yeah. Can I ask when you said that you were disappointed by the uh, by the production? Maybe not disappointed by the production, but you think it's maybe his least accomplished in the eighties. Do you think that the, that the vocal pieces um, make for that impression, or do you think that the lake sounds comparatively better, or is it throughout the album? Is it more this question? No, it's 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 throughout. I think it's not it's not like anybody's fault, and like it it's it's been done with as much care as as before. You know, it's just that it was because they had to kind of like build a studio. Um, you know, in this new house in Switzerland, and they had to, you know, mm. slap all the gear there and set it up, and and it was probably just sort of like, a, like I said, an interim um, setup. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's why it kind of like um, um, sounds a little bit more like coming from a home studio because it was a home studio. 
So it's not, it's not, it, I'm not criticizing it. It's also, as you know, like back in the day, yeah, yeah. it was also very much about the quality of the tape that was available. And, mm. and so, so I, like, it's not that I'm, I'm, I don't think it's, it's really, um, it's really, it's really due to anybody's fault, really. It's just that something, something is just slightly, slightly less, um, um, yeah, it's a little bit blurrier than the others. Mm. Yeah. So especially compared with islands, right? The next big thing he did, which is really pristine. The quality is incredible on that. Right. So anyway. <clears throat> so you, you Yeah, it's, it's maybe it's because I just like the sound of the album. I mean good um like it's not even a question for me of good or bad. I think the lake, especially, it sounds almost electronic, and I think that to me well, makes it, it is, so. It is so, largely. It is largely electronic. There's a lot of electronic in there, yeah, and it's. Yeah. I think it's so. It has such a. I feel it's such a such a trip. I think that that piece and even the this weird twangy um, shuffle thing in there, huh. it, it does take me out of it. But it's it's sort of, it's, it's so uh, everything in there is. Surprising, even after multiple listens, it keeps being this weird little thing. And um, maybe it's sort of my 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 five miles out, what you have with five miles out. That is this piece of this overflowing. It's almost like that for me. It's mm -hmm. <clears throat> really yeah. I keep keep being surprised by it. Yes. No. I I I like I said. I mean, to me, I I I love that album, and it's it has like this very very distinct um very distinct sound and again again sort of like the the cover imagery the 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 color like everything really kind of like blends beautifully with this album too and yeah. it's sort of it's it's this it's the first, second cover it's basically just a variation on the Omadon cover right yeah 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 it is it, it and it's it really, it it's really pull. I'm like pull that mood piece, but this is the, the the cover is a mood piece. That's really, really looking inward. Yeah. Yes. Um, do, do you know who took the photo? Is there is there a credit? Let me have a look. Um, anyway, like um, while while you're looking, yeah. So um, so to Dan France Kramer. it is. Ah, oh, Dan okay. Kramer. Yeah, never heard of him. Like, but the you know, like Two Friends, for example, is one of these genius pieces. Like, where uh, years later, I, I was trying to realize, like, what? Why is this so odd to me? Like, I mean, it's mm -hmm. like very simple song, four four, and blah. What's so odd about it? And then it occurred to me, okay, so it's a song where the chorus has a pickup, like it yeah. goes da 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 one right so so and then but then you get only three bars mm -hmm. so the the so the, the the chorus is really only three bars long and the pickup is either and this is why it's so cool and he does it even like practically so the that pickup could be seen as the fourth bar of the chorus yeah. or it can be seen like it is you know or as the first bar of the chorus and and he plays with that. It's I, yeah. I love that. It's just it's just so so funny how the you don't really know like where does the cycle start and end, 
And yeah, when I was beautiful. young, I actually, I actually thought that the rhythm changes. I actually thought there was a, like a like a, a change in rhythm there, but it, there isn't. But uh, it yeah. gives off that impression. It's that's really, really incredibly ingenious. Yes, yeah, and and it's sort of like a sort of like a, a lesson in songwriting. This this song also like uh, folky in the sense that you know, like something that is particular about. Um, songwriting or songwriters is that they would usually use one chord per bar mm. right that's that's the usual way that you know people would write with them but here like so all every quarter note has a different has a different chord mm. right yes. so for the for the pickup line and and it's it's just it's just beautiful and the melody the lead melody mm. Like who who comes up with that kind of stuff? <laughs> it's like, uh, and and for for me, um, like these these musical ideas. If you're if you're, and I don't know if you if you agree with that. Like we were saying that it's sort of sort of like a continuation of crisis, but then also, there are so many surprising new elements in this, and especially especially melodically, that I wouldn't that that simply couldn't have existed on crisis. Yeah. Like it was not 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 part of that sphere. And so like yeah. he's really getting into a completely new sphere here. And at the same time, and this is like something that like people were making fun of even back in the day, was that like moonlight shadow and poison arrows is the same is the same melody. Mm. Exactly the same melody. Right? Um so so he was certainly kind of constructing part of what he was doing there. So it was yeah. not not everything m m may have been like an intuitive, uh, you know, stroke of genius or something, but really um, an act of design, and that's really also like the, what the album sounds like a little bit, with with yeah. the the drum the drum parts in most pieces are also very like really parts, not grooves. Mm -hmm. If you know what I mean, like it's it's more like it's still more like a percussive thing. So in a way, a continuation of what happened on on the track crisis, right? So yeah, and yeah, I totally agree the, with that. Yeah, um, especially the drum part that is really interesting. When you hear it, the album like this, you think sometimes it doesn't it isn't really groovy, but there's uh, it gets the message across. And then you hear cover songs played by other artists. There's a, a very um, faithful rendition of um, the title track by a German metal band. And you would think that when they play, it would be heavier, but it's not. It's actually less heavy yeah, because <laughs> they, they, they just play the drums like the drum, like a drum set. And like you said, mm -hmm. it's the, in, in the piece, it's, it's much more orchestral, more percussive, and it has a lot more force. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and like the reappearance of the uh, the cowbell, for example, like the yeah. uh, the shadow on the wall cowbell in uh, Crystal Gazing, right? Yeah, I think that's where <laughs> it's it's great, it's great, and everything everything is so so um, carefully crafted uh, in terms of the percussion, and that's Simon Phillips, right? And the fun funny thing is that Simon Phillips is very much a drummer who plays the full kit and who makes the mm -hmm. kit sound like one instrument but on mm. these two albums crisis and and here discovery he's he's really more of an orchestrator of mm. of drums 
And I wonder how much of that really is due to the fact that they were working together. I think that that may be mm. like the, the, the catalyst there for playing things a little bit differently. Uh, yeah. It's probably Mike's, Mike's, and maybe, maybe, I don't know, it's also possible that Mike did demos with a drum machine or something, and then all that uh, needed to Very be done likely, was yeah. to kind of like replace those parts. I don't know. It's know. very likely. I mean, um, for the live tour, a lot of the stuff um, was not not everything, but a lot was played along to the fair lights. So that suggests that there is a sort of a, a structure, um, oh, yeah. with, well, which sure. on top of which the music is played. Um, yeah. So that that would be very likely with the drums as well. And they have sort of a very like they have this step, this this marching feel very often. This. Um, as I said, it's not very groovy in the sense, but but it it somehow anchors the music um, because the, the rest of the the music around it is super dynamic and super ornate and has a lot of um, rhythmical intricacies. So it's sort of the, the drums provide for the anchoring. Um, in you know, way. there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of clarity sort of to those to, to those musical ideas. Right, and there, there's like now I, I'm remembering one one other element that re really stands out on this record is the bass playing, um, and there are actually a couple of moments where the bass playing is actually featured in the mix, which mm -hmm. is I think actually in um, Poison Arrows there's a little moment where you can hear him playing like a, a run, and yeah. also also a very re relatively long run in uh, Talk About Your Life. Yeah. And and has very particular like really um, uh, how do you say like like um, like very um, impactful low deep sound that bass like the, the crunchy bass sound it's really mm -hmm. really cool on that record and um, I, I I recently sent you a link to that little clip that Mike posted um, where it's just bass and uh, guitars of the last section mm -hmm. of of the lake just beautiful where you can hear yeah. like his his melodic um bass playing and playing yeah. high you know like high notes and combination with those low notes and beautiful and yeah, that's I, that's I, the I, sound I, he yeah. has that's the sound he has throughout the album you know so he was really mm -hmm. really really um spending um some i don't want to say thought you know but actually mm -hmm. like creative creative juices like behind those parts yeah totally and what you said earlier about what, how does someone come up with a melody to in France, uh, to France? I think um, it that's part of the reason why I sometimes think that it was maybe conceptualized in a way instrumentally and then realized as a pop album because when some of the melodies have this feeling of them being almost coming from something instrumental, where you take completely different approaches to the melodic lines. <clears throat> um, so that one to France has that. And also, I think um, one of the things I noticed um, for this one is how he works with the vocals and how sometimes almost disrespectfully. So in, in to France, um, Maggie Riley changes accents in, in the piece. So it, it, there's uh, passages where she sings with almost American, where she has the American um, accent almost. And in the beginning, it's, it's the British one. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, um, Saved by a Bell, where you can clearly hear Barry Palmer's struggling with his voice, um, mm -hmm. and, it, and he he had a bad day. He had a bad voice day, and he wanted to come back in, but he wasn't allowed to come back in. So it so to to Mike apparently it um, 
the I think the 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 voice is just a coloring, and maybe sometimes the straining and and the like from a singer's perspective, the the mistakes they actually suit him just fine uh, because he's I think he's different thinking differently at least on this album still about the music than than the more pop oriented or folk oriented um, vocalist would do. I find that really fascinating. Yes, 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 totally. Totally. And um, so, like, what, you know, as as a man of the word, like, what do you think of the the lyrics on this record? And is there sort of like a, a common theme? Is there sort of like something you you identified? Yeah, I, I, I thought about the, the them a lot. I mean, to France probably sticks, is, is probably sort of an outlier in that sense. I think that's a story of its own. Um I do did notice that I find them pretty like if you look at them just the titles Poison Arrows Saved by a mm-hmm. Bell, which is also has a negative content. There's lots of darkness in there, tricks of the light. It's not, you know, it's it's the light, but there's tricks of the light. Um I don't know, it's a lot of um it's we have the cover and he's looking inward. It's, it looks to be someone thinking about how to judge what's happening around him. Um mm-hmm. Maybe they, that's the theme. I, otherwise, I'm... Um, well, well, you know, yeah. like even even going back to... Um, like if we, we say like the very first song that appeared was Sally, I'm Just a Gorilla on his albums, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, so and in a way, so you could say that relationship actually is, is one of the things he's writing about. And I think Tricks of the Light may be mm-hmm. about that as well as uh, talk about your life. There's definitely and a lot all, of... Also, yeah. cr- also crystal gazing. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's and, a, and, yeah. I think it, I mean, if I had to guess, it has to do with every man's an, and every woman's an island. This idea that you cannot never be entirely certain what someone else feels and thinks. Um, mm-hmm. And... Um, and maybe the only certainty is in is in the music, because maybe there's no misunderstanding in the music, but there's every sort of misunderstanding in interpersonal communication and relationships. Hey, and also discovery is about this. Also, mm-hmm. I just yeah. realized. I mean, you, you could you could interpret it differently, but I think that's that's really what it's about. I don't know. There's there's not a single. I don't think there's a single really upbeat lyric in there. Even though the music, there's a lot of upbeat music in there, really uplifting. Um, but the, mm. the lyrics are a counterpoint. Like every single one, I would say. Well, with the exception of the verses of um, "Saved by a Bell," maybe. Yeah, the verses, which apparently were. I don't know if this is true, but um, inspired by a gift he got from Anita Hegeland. The uh, I don't know the telescope. Is that? I don't know. Is that an anecdote which? Yeah, that, that that one is, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that one, especially with that, um, with the, with the lyrics of the of the of the chorus, is really um, and it spirals into this incredibly euphoric finale. That's uh, mm-hmm. I find that interesting. Um, the, the 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 huge emotional um, contrast between the lyrics and the music. Yeah, this this record has like the. Um... At the time, I was playing this uh, Gibson guitar, which had the like the the, mm-hmm. the synth pickup built into it as well, 
And yeah. I think I think like that, uh, and obviously I could be wrong, but this particular sound, um, I think it was already present on the on the long version of Shadow on the Wall. This sound, but really here on this record on uh, Discovery, like these um, short interjections that he's playing in Saved by a Bell, in mm -hmm. the chorus, and um, also um, you know probably also the solo of Discovery, or the track Discovery, mm -hmm. um, may use this kind of like uh, where the, the actual guitar is doubled with a synth. Is that and the Roland guitar synth? Yes, yes. How does how does that work, by the way? I was curious. I read about it. He, he mentioned it in an interview, but didn't specify. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I, I think back then it was already like a hex pickup, meaning that there were like six um, elements, like each element picking up a different string, and that was being sent to the hmm. synthesizer. And it was like, like um, it wasn't yet digital. And I don't know, like maybe some part of it was digital, but the sound, um, the sound engine was still analog in those mm -hmm. devices back then. And... Um, like, you know, um, like, uh, Pat Metheny used it a lot and still uses it. And, mm. uh, Adrian Ballou and Robert Fripp used them in, um, in King Crimson at the time. So, um, so it's interesting. I mean, when, when we know that Mike was kind of a King Crimson fan mm. at that time. Right. And so, um, but he never, he ne never went that way to really, really make it an obvious color using it yeah. just as a synth but i think it's kind of like mixed in with with some of the uh, and uh the lake has quite a few of those really interesting mm. guitar sounds and i think i i'm pretty sure it's it's a blend of the synth um and the the analog signal of the mm -hmm. of the guitar so um it's um yeah it's it's kind of like and maybe that's another factor that may contribute to your experiencing of it as uh, like a futuristic sounding Record. Mm. Yeah, very yeah. likely. They also use the bass synth. So uh, there's a lot of these at the cross between analog and digital. There's a lot of thought of that in there. Yes. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. And almost like this. Yeah. No, just one last thought about the lake, yeah. right? So um, also, in a way, it's it's sort of like maybe. You like this idea of programmatic music, where like a piece of music describes a scenery or describes yeah. a story or something like that. Like, yeah, we could say that maybe Hergis Rich was already doing that, but I mean, not yes, but no, right? Because yeah. like, okay, it's a specific place, right? But here, um, and I think we we mentioned the the Moldau. I don't know how people say that in English, mm -hmm. like. <laughs> Um, so it like the, the lake kind of like starts starts like with these mm. which could be like either uh, droplets of water or it could be snow that's kind of like you know and and then then the status quo section would be the skiing uh, downhill or you know like all this yeah, yeah. so it's it's very very programmatic in that in that sense and and that is sort of like something that I find is is kind of like I I would say. It's like the first time that I have the impression that yeah, it's really a programmatic. It's really yeah. also meant to be that way. Where with uh, everything we've talked about so far, um, chronologically, you know, through his discography, mm -hmm. hasn't really had that that as a main feature. 
Well, if you ask Phil, he'll be, he would be able to tell you exactly what each passage refers to, because apparently Mike told him um, mm -hmm. that the, the skiing is in there. I don't, and he said the beginning is the, this, what you call the little bell sounds. And so he said it's, it's the, the snow fall, yeah. uh, falling down. I don't know. I mean, those were definitely not associations I had with it. But um, I mean, uh, to be honest, most programmatic music, if unless you know the program, it's not it will be hard yes. to, to actually figure yeah. out on your own. Yeah. It does add a, a very interesting um, additional layer to the music, I think. Yes. And also maybe to to him, to the way he composes. I thought that was really more interesting to me than actually finding out what each passage refers to or was supposed to refer to, was was finding out that he actually thought about these things, things like this while composing. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I wouldn't maybe wouldn't have suspected it. I knew he had sort of musical references, like in Tubular Bells. There's things he he said. Okay, I want to. Um, there's there's a reference to stuff I played with Kevin Ayers, and and there's there's something um, I played in in a pub um, somewhere. Uh, I wouldn't have expected it to be programmatic in this way, but that was really eye or ear opening. Just yes. a different perspective. Yes. Also, also um, another couple things um, that I noticed. So, like the um, Poison Arrows is the, f as far as I can think now, like the first piece in which he's using the, what people call the flat five interval, right? So mm -hmm. the tritone. Um, it, to some people, it may sound bluesy, but it's really not, not really that bluesy <laughs> in the guitar solo. The guitar, the guitar solo mm. of it, you know, of um, Poison Arrows, and it's a very, very strong feature of that, um, of that solo, and kind of like makes sense, like, you know, the lyrics there. And I, I mm -hmm. recall reading some sort of like interview with him where that is really about paranoia, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and also like you know like i think we've we've mentioned this quote already from his autobiography where he says like i don't have friends i have lawyers and <laughs> you know that's what that's what the song reminds me of like <laughs> hmm. um but then like the other um the other guitar solos in these on on this album are just outstanding outstanding yeah. like like the um the of, of the classical guitars, not classical, like the, the steel string guitar solo in uh, To France, mm -hmm. um, wonderful, wonderful, yeah. and then um, like the twangy, twangy solo in Tricks of the Light, mm. really beautiful, right? And then, like I said, the um, the the solo on the track Discovery, which is almost like a mini composition in itself, um, yeah. is really is really for me, one of the highlights of his of his um, melodic composing, and and also like the, you know, if you listen to it, kind of it sounds also it sounds kind of smooth, and you would you would not assume there to be any sort of like exotic notes in there, but there are. Yeah. Right? It's just a beautiful, and I'm I'm realizing like how much really his playing, and his note choice, and and his deliberate. Uh, melodicism, let's say, has has really influenced me a lot as a musician. Mm -hmm. Like where where when I'm when I'm hearing a Mike Oldfield solo with like some exceptions where there are like little uh, guitar-y 
licks that are built in, like at the end of the discovery solo, there's a little bit like that. But really, like the the the, the major chunk of it is really notes that are that don't lie under the fingers they're not under the fingers mm -hmm. you have to very deliberately practice to play these these parts and yeah. um and i'm i'm just really really fond of that and in the context of the heaviness of um of that groove like where where really the um, the the last was like last eight measures of the song is just so heavy it's so yeah. cool and and there's something else uh, we forgot to mention. In a way, the disc, the theme of the track "Discovery" is a variation of Taurus Two of the beginning of Taurus Two. Hmm, I'll have to it's check the that. same. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. the same. It's the same notes and it's the same riff, just with a slightly different rhythm. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really it's it's a really. Um, it's a very unique album as catalog. I totally, I totally agree. And it's interesting that you put call the solo in discovery a, a miniature composition in its own right. Because actually, usually when I listen to that song, I rewind it after it's finished to the solo and listen to it again, and then sometimes again. Yes, um, just, <laughs> same here. <laughs> I'm, I'm. Can you? I'm because you've spent a lot of time listening to these solos. What What I find interesting is that um, they often seem to come they, they develop their own melodic lines you know it's not like a jazz solo where you take pick up a theme which was there before um and then you develop it and then you just play a few licks over that it seems to be its own thing is that impression correct or do you think he draws it from some elements of the song which i just which are just very out there like not that apparent well i know i know i know i know what you mean um, so first of all, like here's a little story. When I um, first played this song to my guitar teacher back then, mm -hmm. um, who was a Mike Oldfield fan, but he only knew the earlier albums, and so um, so um, it must have been like in '86 or '87 that I um, that I played him Discovery, and he heard that solo, and he was like the first thing he said was, "Wow, that's uh, like incredibly like folkloristic." So he he heard he immediately heard the folklore part in that solo, mm -hmm. which I find which I find very interesting. But there there is some truth to it, right? Um, it's not it's not a. I think you can like kind of like define Mike Oldfield more like by by saying what he doesn't do rather than what the, he mm -hmm. does do, because like what I said, like what he does do is very deliberate for like the the the, the music for the music's sake. Yeah. So there's there's and and that's really um, in the case of like the great solos that he played in the '80s, where it like would be Shine and uh, Shine really one of them, and like Discovery, for example. You are right that the solos are like the, their own world, and they don't necessarily draw from um, from the track itself. They're not necessarily taking yeah. motifs from the track itself, with the exception of maybe uh, on this album. Um, uh, to France, where the solo is is not uh, referencing the main melody per se, but it is in there. Yeah, it's it's even though it's it's not super long. It's I think it's the, it's by far the longest solo on that album, but it's not super long even. 
but it has within this short time span, there's so much happening. It's insane. And when you think it's, I think pretty much around the half mark of that solo, you think it's over and then it builds it up again. Um, and it really lifts the entire piece to another level again. So it's, uh, yeah, really and, remarkable. And also, also this, um, this way of, of mixing up the triplets and the 16th notes and like the, yeah. the way that, that it's rhythmically, um, free and then, then combining like the, um, the, the sort of like linear, linear scalar movement with, with larger intervals and, and like, like jumps going down like two octaves, mm. you know, for, for, for just a second and then going back up and like all these, these really, really expressive, um, yeah, like I said, deliberate, composed. It's it's really um, like my aim would be to actually like it always is like to 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 be able to play like Mike, which mm -hmm. uh, is but it's impossible. <laughs> I have to say it's impossible, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, because he's he is you know it is. But I have learned a lot from him, like especially like these 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 slides that he does like a whole octave sliding up and down on the string and, and like 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 jumping around and like this like i said the switching from from um um 16th note to six tuplets and this this mm -hmm. kind of stuff um yeah that that solo is really is really quite something and like if somebody would ask me like which 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 guitar solo should i learn i would always recommend discovery mm. you know to, to learn that Aim high. Yeah, aim high. Hey, and there's something else that I just kind of like remembered as I was as I was talking about it, the um the solo for um to France mm -hmm. has uh, uh if you pay close attention you realize that it's like the solo um is actually doubled with some sort of fluty yeah. sound. So again, like you can see, you know, it's not it hasn't been it wasn't improvised, it was written and orchestrated. Very likely, yeah. yes. Um, well, not likely. I mean, it, it is because we can hear well, the, it, right? So, <laughs> well, he could have added the flute later on. I mean, just uh, overdone yeah. it. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But yes, it doesn't. I, right. I, but I agree that it just simply doesn't sound like it. Like, it really sounds very, very um, consciously um, constructed. Yeah. And, I, and, and that and, one too. Yeah. And in the the fade out, the, well, we're not the fade out because on the record it doesn't fade out, right? Mm -hmm. But the the again, like the end section of Two Friends, where you realize, and and this is like something that he's done a lot, where basically the the chord sequence itself is a melody. So like mm -hmm. you take away you take away the lead parts, and you still get that there's still a melody left. So it's like like this yeah. nested levels of 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 mel melodic information and it's just beautiful and and how it then kind of like uh, almost morphs into into poison arrows it's really nice yeah and um the it would be also in in terms of speculation it would be really interesting to 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 think about the what the album would have been if some of the other cuts which we didn't make it were had actually been included, for, especially I think in the pool, I think that yeah. that lends credibility to what, like to this idea that maybe um, that the that, that the instrumental underlying has a can stand on its own at least, 
And in the pool, mm-hmm. I think that maybe it's my favorite track of the era of the, this particular era. It's it's so yeah. beautiful. It's such a um, um, a, a lyrical melody, and uh, and his playing is so beautiful on it. It's insane to think that it was a B side, and that they didn't. I mean, okay, they, they, there seem to be versions of it, but they probably weren't finished. But um, even as an instrumental, it would have been great on the album. Yeah, I, I I agree that it's one of my favorite tracks as well. But uh, to me, it wouldn't have fit on the album. So even even as as part of a larger piece, it wouldn't have worked because it's such again, it's such a strong statement by itself that it really kind of transcends the album. That's that's sort of like my my idea about it. It is really something that that is it is a B side. And it's a great, great B-side. And it has, uh, again, like it has the Gibson, it has the, mm. the Gibson guitar with the Roland synth. Um, it has um, like his trademark thing where he's like um, doubling uh, uh, like, a, like a short, like, um, like a picked acoustic uh, or even like classical guitar. Um, it's overdubbed with, a, with, a, with an octave up lead guitar, distorted guitar sound. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really kind of have, has many of his, of his signature kind of like arrangement techniques and stuff. And, but then this one really has, and this is sort of like a first, it has that sort of drum groove. This is a groove yeah. now, which, yeah. which is, which is very much like a, um, I hate to say it, but like reggae kind of vibe. And you yeah. know, in the pool, it kind of like has that. It has that. It has that reggae vibe, with a pina colada, you know, like in your exactly, hand somehow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's based. It's based on that sample of whatever it is, like maybe somebody stirring a cocktail, or I a don't cocktail know. Hug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> And the other, the other uh, B side of that of that time was Afghan or like like yeah right, and um, which on the um, on the nineteen eighty four suite has a different name. Did you yeah. see that? Yeah. Um, what is it called there? Let me just Zombies. look that up. No, 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 no. Zombies is a version of uh, oh, that's bo- Poison Arrows. Bo- oh, Poison Arrows. That's true. Yeah. Um, it was called uh, the Royal Mile. Oh, the Royal was Mile, Afghan, yeah. yes. Yeah, um, and you know uh, that that one is really also it's also a very beautiful tune. Um, again, with that with that um, special lead guitar sound, um, sort of like a folk, yeah, just a simple simple folk tune in a way, but beautiful with a uh, with fake. Uh, I guess fake bagpipes, you know, yeah. really, <laughs> really nice. Um, uh, yeah, we we should not forget to mention that there were um, that there were a couple of twelve-inch um, uh, versions, right? So there was an extended version of Two France, yeah, uh, which was interesting, which had like a little. Um, strip down version just drums guitar bass kind of like one verse inserted as far as i remember mm-hmm. um and then there was like the instrumental version of tricks of the lights uh tricks of the light which was um 
yeah. which was just uh, um, the uh, the melodies played with a bell sound, mm -hmm. right? And yeah, we forgot to mention that Tricks of the Light is special because it's a duet, right? Yeah. It's Maggie Riley and Barry Palmer alternating. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had the I had the twelve inch um, at the time. I uh, for whatever reason I had the twelve inch bef long before I had the full album <clears throat> of that particular song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like just one other B side, which is this this odd piece, Bones, which yeah. really which really is a Killing Fields outtake. I can I I'm certain, or it was just a, like maybe an experiment he did at the time. Yeah, well, there were um, already um, three hours or so of unreleased music from the Killing Fields, um, written but never published on the official album. So it was a productive time of which there is not all that much, um, like only it's a fraction of what was composed actually ended up um, on a recorded album. Yeah, and I, I know that, and I mean, I guess we're going to talk about the Killing Fields as well, right? Yeah. We, we should do that, yeah, yeah. Because but, in the but, film, there were there were there were a few there were a few scenes that had music that was not um, on the soundtrack album. Yeah, I mean, the Killing Fields for me is like a separate thing and um, deserves a set. It's like a separate podcast. Oh, for sure, for um, sure. I mean, that's nothing nothing out of the ordinary. But I thought with the sound, like with the special editions, um, it would have been nice to to get a little more of that because um, some of that is just really astounding and the experimentalism of it is incredible I, I just listened to the whole thing again today in full and um it's just such a um again it's just a weird but but what but absolutely incredible synthesis of things happening there um but it's but it works somehow really bizarre it, it yeah it totally works and in a way the um, standout track, and we haven't talked about it much at all, is is to me is really a talk about your life. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, it has like it has like a sort of um, I, I'm saying standout for like many reasons. Like it has like a very very unique um, vibe and and space and kind of like use of the mm. of the elements. Let's say, mm -hmm. um, for example, like this is because um, I like making these um, references back to other tracks he's done. The the rhythm guitar parts uh, are reminiscent of uh, North Star and Platinum, yeah. mm -hmm. right? And it's beautiful with the organ, you know, like the organ sounds, and it's just with the Oberheim and the beautiful, like incredible drumming. Really, yeah. really incredible drumming, and and Maggie Riley's voice is just unbelievable on this track. I think this is the album where she sounds the best. She actually sounds really good on the tracks, um, the fewer tracks that she does on um, Earth Moving. But I think this is her mm -hmm. album. This, this she sounds so gorgeous on on these on, on these pieces. Yes, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's um, it's it's the mid eighties album, right? Yeah, actually, still, if you, I mean, like, what is what is really the mid '80s? That does it have to be '85? 
85 or does it have to be 86? He didn't do, he didn't release an album in 85 and 86. So, yeah, so. well, I mean, I was going to ask you about the tour. Um, and I think you, you, yeah, you didn't, did you see him or didn't you see him? I can't I, remember. I, I was there. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, because, um, of course, that tour. Um, started out great, and then I think in like in the relationships between the musicians, it didn't go that well towards the turn difficult towards the end, according to some accounts. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe that was to blame. I don't know. Um, but I, I mean, in terms of the music, would you say this is the most exciting tour? Maybe I, I mean, just to me, the the way he built that setup, the way he goes in with the some instrumental pieces, then does a bit of crisis and then the full vocal, no, it's actually plays the entire um, Discovery album, the vocal pieces, but mm -hmm. in great arrangements. And then he goes back to some uh, instrumental piece. I think that's such a, I mean, I would never have expected him to, to, to perform it that way, but it's really convincing. Is that maybe his best tour? With, um, because I mean, like, like for, me, for me, yes, yes, no, for me, for me, like obviously back, like it was a great, great, great concert, like no question <clears> about that. Now, in hindsight, the fact that, that it was relying so heavily on the, the Fairlight as backing track, yeah, right? Um, it back in that, that it was like again, like, like a, a real pioneer of doing that, mm. right? This is what people started doing yep. like maybe in the 2000, like, like maybe 20 years ago or so. And he did that like, you know, 20 years prior, really. Yep. Um, it's really, it's really something that, um, didn't work for me or doesn't work for me in hindsight, like listening to those recordings. I'm, it's just, it's just it, the, the band can't breathe enough, mm -hmm. you know, with those, with those backing tracks. And I don't know how they did it. If they had like a, click or just some of the musicians had a click in the ear you know uh, in their in ears or something um anyway like like pioneering yes but musically in hindsight not satisfying to me the set mm -hmm. list could have been like amazing if it was still sort of like the band that played in 82 right mm -hmm. so but with the with the with the fairlight backing tracks i'm i'm I, i'm not not convinced in hindsight so like his the best tour, really best tour, if you if you want to say, there was the um, the exposed tour. There was the um, the slightly smaller band that played in 1980 with with what was like Gong um, mm -hmm. plus Mike in a way, um, like ten piece band, and then like even like the early 80s band, like the small band, um, was maybe like sort of like great, but not as great then as the 82 band mm. and 83 was sort of like with Simon Phillips and uh, Pierre Molin and you know that was like maybe the maybe the best band also with the highest energy right and then 80, 84 yeah not so great anymore for me and then later like 93 obviously that was just more like an orchestra that was great yeah. but but very different, very different. And so never, never kind of like really found back to that original rock kind of sound that, um, and in a way it was slightly lost already on the 84 tour and the discovery tour because, because of the use of, um, like overuse, let's say of technology.
Right. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I, I compare it to something like a band like Tangerine Dream, who also pretty much exactly at that time started using um, recording, like backing tracks mm -hmm. and then just soloing on top of it, which was for Tangerine Dream was probably even more radical. Uh, well, well, it was pretty much the same. It was just a radical change of direction and change of, um, of pace. Um, but I think in, in those mid-80s Tangerine Dream live performances the, the the live feeling is almost entirely gone i mean there's there's hardly a, a mm. difference at all between the studio recording and the live performance um mm. which avoids disappointment but also prevents this this sudden this this, this rush of adrenaline this surge of <clears throat> like excitement which you get when it does work i mean mm. if i compare it to that i just find these concerts to have sort of for me perfect balance between the perfection of not not perfection, but the the um, stability that the Fairlights offer, and then the on top of the the human element and the and and especially with like Maggie Riley and Barry um, being um, I would say really great vocalists, but who have like um, they're not pick, like like perfect. They're not like machines. They really have their insecurities and instabilities and i i just i just know it hits the sweet spot for me in a way yeah 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 i mean i for me for me this 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 time um and you you could see you could see how mike's life changed drastically right 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 yeah. after like the yeah. next two years right so so I, I find, I find that in a way discovery and like, isn't that amazing? Like it's called discovery, right? Mm -hmm. And then, then, then everything changes. And this really from, to me is the last album of that. Mm. Well, what is it? Is it, there's no trilogy really. It doesn't, there's no trilogy in the eighties. There is no, 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 uh, no um no cycle that's bigger than two albums really yeah yeah and i i can't i can't wait to um you know like uh, after the killing fields we'll talk about islands and islands is is an incredible album so i i can't wait to talk about that yeah that will be interesting because i think that's really where maybe opinions will um um go there like separate ways i'm it's definitely, this is definitely probably, I mean, even for some people, discovery is maybe a step too far into some directions, whatever, it's their loss. But um, um, yeah, the, hey, something changes hey, after did, this one. Didn't you Didn't you make a reference to, to uh, Islands um, when you were talking about the lyrics of the Discovery album? Um, yeah. Said, uh, yeah. Yeah, there was something I can't remember now, but... I definitely know that I, well, let's wait for that when it comes, um, I yes, think. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, I'm sure there, there are a few other things that, um, like observations that, um, we didn't share or I haven't shared, but I think let's yeah. leave it at that for now. It's, um, again, it's sort of like, a really, a, an album that's worth exploring for all its quirkiness and and 
kind of like imperfection, like in a, in a, but it's, it's all like very, very, uh, moving and, yep. and sort of like this, this vibe, um, from crisis with that, with that, with that swirling, like background drone kind of vibe, it's yep. still, it's still present here. And that's, maybe this would be one where it would be really interesting to talk to Simon Phillips, because of course, if you look at the, the the list of musicians involved, it's really Mike and Simon working together in the studio, crafting the music. And yeah. um, so there's a lot of interplay between the two. I mean, it's Barry and the, the, the vocalists, they, they were just in for very short sessions yes. and anything, and, and then they're out again. And anything else is just Mike and Simon working on the music. And that's maybe also why the drums take on such an important role and why, yeah, because, um, yeah, it's yeah. in a, in a way it's 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 really the first the the first album after the early albums where it's just Mike and a producer. Yeah. 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 Good that we said that uh, <laughs> at the end of this. Okay. Uh, do you want to have the last word, Tobias? No, I'm I'm actually fine. I, um, I just no, I, I keep remembering stuff I uh, I noted down before, but we can go to that um, actually with the Killing Fields, which I really really look forward to. Um, mm -hmm. That's really the, the Killing Fields is really something I, I'm really glad we did we're doing this podcast because that's something I I listened to very early, and um, I think back at when I, when I first heard it, I wasn't ready for it, and now I'm really discovering it, and I think wow, this is so good and yes, so unique. Within his work, but actually not just within his work. It's it really, it Very still true. sounds incredible to the, and different. Very true. Very true. Okay. Thanks, um, dear listeners, and keep sending us some feedback, please. Um, we love doing this and um, we love being my Goldfield fans, and I hope you love, love that too. Um, okay. Bye bye for now. <laughs>